part two of book three of on the nature of the gods by marcus tullius cicero translated by charles duke young this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by geoffrey edwards we see that the mind faith hope virtue honour victory health concord and things of such kind are purely natural and have nothing of divinity in them for either they are inherent in us as the mind faith hope virtue and concord are or else they are to be desired as honour health and victory i know indeed that they are useful to us and see that statues have been religiously erected for them but as to their divinity i shall begin to believe it when you have proved it for certain of this kind i may particularly mention fortune which is allowed to be ever inseparable from inconstancy and temerity which are certainly qualities unworthy of a divine being but what delight do you take in the explication of fables and in the etymology of names that coelus was castrated by his son and that saturn was bound in chains by his son by your defence of these and such like fictions you would make the authors of them appear not only not to be madmen but to have been even very wise but the pains which you take with your etymologies deserve our pity that saturn is so called because say saturat anis he is full of years mavors mars because magna vortit he brings about mighty changes minerva because minuit she diminishes or because minatur she threatens venus because venit ad omnia she comes to all ceres a gerendo from bearing how dangerous is this method for there are many names that would puzzle you from what would you derive weupiter and vulcan though indeed if you can derive neptune anando from swimming in which you seem to me to flounder about yourself more than neptune you may easily find the origin of all names since it is founded only upon the conformity of some one letter zeno first and after him cleanthes and chrysippus are put to the unnecessary trouble of explaining mere fables and giving reasons for the several appellations of every deity which is really owning that those whom we call gods are not the representations of deities but natural things and that to judge otherwise is an error yet this error has so much prevailed that even pernicious things have not only the title of divinity ascribed to them but have also sacrifices offered to them for fever has a temple on the palatine hill and orbona another near that of the lares and we see on the esquiline hill an altar consecrated to ill fortune let all such errors be banished from philosophy if we would advance in our dispute concerning the immortal gods 
nothing unworthy of immortal beings i know myself what i ought to believe which is far different from what you have said you take neptune for an intelligence pervading the sea you have the same opinion of ceres with regard to the earth i cannot i own find out or in the least conjecture what that intelligence of the sea or the earth is to learn therefore the existence of the gods and of what description and character they are i must apply elsewhere not to the stoics let us proceed to the two other parts of our dispute first whether there is a divine providence which governs the world and lastly whether that providence particularly regards mankind for these are the remaining propositions of your discourse and i think that if you approve of it we should examine these more accurately with all my heart says Valeus, for i readily agree to what you have hitherto said and expect still greater things from you i am unwilling to interrupt you says balpus to cotta but we shall take another opportunity and i shall effectually convince you but footnote here is a wide chasm in the original what is lost probably may have contained a great part of cotta's argument against the providence of the stoics End footnote. Quote, shall i adore and bend the suppliant knee who scorn their power and doubt their deity Close quote. does not niobe here seem to reason and by that reasoning to bring all her misfortunes upon herself but what a subtle expression is the following quote, on strength of will alone depends success Close quote. a maxim capable of leading us into all that is bad quote, though i'm confined his malice yet is vain his tortured heart shall answer pain for pain his ruin soothe my soul with soft content lighten my chains and welcome banishment this now is reason that reason which you say the divine goodness has denied to the brute creation kindly to bestow it on men alone how great how immense the favour observe the same medea flying from her father and her country Quote, the guilty wretch from her pursuer flies by her own hands the young absurdus slain his mangled limbs she scatters o'er the plain that the fond sire might sink beneath his woe and she to parricide her safety owe reflection as well as wickedness must have been necessary to the preparation of such a fact and did he too who prepared that fatal repast for his brother do it without reflection quote, revenge as great as atreus injury shall sink his soul and crown his misery Close quote. did not thyestes himself not content with having defiled his brother's bed of which atreus with great justice thus complains quote, when faithless comforts in the lewd embrace with vile adultery stain a royal race the blood thus mixed in fouler currents flows taints the rich soil 
and breeds unnumbered woes. Close quote. Did he not, I say, by that adultery, aim at the possession of the crown? Atreus thus continues, quote, A lamb, fair gift of heaven with golden fleece, promised in vain to fix my crown in peace. But base Thyestes, eager for the prey, crept to my bed and stole the gem away. Close quote. Do you not perceive that Thyestes must have had a share of reason proportionable to the greatness of his crimes? Such crimes as are not only represented to us on the stage, but such as we see committed, nay, often exceeded in the common course of life. The private houses of individual citizens, the public courts, the senate, the camp, our allies, our provinces, all agree that reason is the author of all the ill, as well as of all the good which is done, that it makes few act well, and that but seldom, but many act ill, and that frequently, and that, in short, the gods would have shown greater benevolence in denying us any reason at all than in sending us that which is accompanied with so much mischief for as wine is seldom wholesome but often hurtful in diseases we think it more prudent to deny it to the patient than to run the risk of so uncertain a remedy so i do not know whether it would not be better for mankind to be deprived of wit thought and penetration or what we call reason, since it is a thing pernicious to many, and very useful to few, than to have it bestowed upon them with so much liberality, and in such abundance. But if the divine will has really consulted the good of man in this gift of reason, the good of those men only was consulted on whom a well-regulated one is bestowed how few those are, if any, is very apparent. We cannot admit, therefore, that the gods consulted the good of a few only. The conclusion must be that they consulted the good of none. You answer that the ill-use which a great part of mankind make of reason no more takes away the goodness of the gods, who bestow it as a present of the greatest benefit to them, then the ill-use which children make of their patrimony diminishes the obligation which they have to their parents for it. We grant you this, but where is the similitude? It was far from Deonyra's design to injure Hercules when she made him a present of the shirt dipped in the blood of the centaurs. Nor was it a regard to the welfare of Jason of Fury that influenced the man who, with his sword, opened his imposthume, which the physicians had in vain attempted to cure. For it has often happened that people have served a man whom they intended to injure, and have injured one whom they designed to serve, so that the effect of the gift is by no means always a proof of the intention of the giver. Neither does the benefit which may accrue from it prove that it came from the hands of a benefactor. For in short, what debauchery, what avarice, what crime among men is there which does not owe its birth to thought and reflection, that is, to reason? For all opinion is reason, right reason, if men's thoughts are conformable to truth, wrong reason, if they are not. 
the gods only give us the mere faculty of reason if we have any the use or abuse of it depends entirely upon ourselves so that the comparison is not just between the present of reason given us by the gods and a patrimony left to a son by his father for after all if the injury of mankind had been the end proposed by the gods what could they have given them more pernicious than reason for what seed could there be of injustice intemperance and cowardice if reason were not laid as the foundation of these vices i mentioned just now medea and atreus persons celebrated in heroic poems who had used this reason only for the contrivance and practice of the most flagitious crimes but even the trifling characters which appear in comedies supply us with the like instances of this reasoning faculty for example does not he in the eunuch reason with some subtlety Quote, what then must i resolve upon she turned me out of doors she sends for me back again shall i go no not if she were to beg it of me Close quote. another in the twins making no scruple of opposing a received maxim after the manner of the academics asserts that when a man is in love and in want it is pleasant quote, to have a father covetous crabbed and passionate who has no love or affection for his children Close quote. this unaccountable opinion he strengthens thus quote, you may defraud him of his profits or forge letters in his name or fright him by your servant into compliance and what you take from such an old hunks how much more pleasantly do you spend it Close quote. on the contrary he says that an easy generous father is an inconvenience to a son in love for says he quote, i can't tell how to abuse so good so prudent a parent who always foreruns my desires and meets me purse in hand to support me in my pleasures this easy goodness and generosity quite defeat all my frauds tricks and stratagems what are these frauds tricks and stratagems but the effects of reason oh excellent gift of the gods without this formio could not have said quote, find me out the old man i have something hatching for him in my head Close quote. but let us pass from the stage to the bar the praetor takes his seat to judge whom the man who set fire to our archives how secretly was that villainy conducted q socius an illustrious roman knight of the picene field confessed the fact who else is to be tried he who forged the public registers alinus an artful fellow who counterfeited the handwriting of the six officers let us call to mind other trials that on the subject of the gold of tolosa or the conspiracy of jugurtha let us trace back the informations laid against tubulus for bribery in his judicial office and since that the proceedings of the tribune peduceus concerning the incest of the vestals let us reflect upon the trials which daily happen for assassinations 
poisonings embezzlement of public money frauds in wills against which we have a new law then that action against the advisers or assisters of any theft the many laws concerning frauds in guardianship breaches of trust in partnerships and commissions in trade and other violations of faith in buying selling borrowing or lending the public decree on a private affair by the litorian law and lastly that scourge of all dishonesty the law against fraud proposed by our friend aquilius that sort of fraud he says by which one thing is pretended and another done can we then think that this plentiful fountain of evil sprung from the immortal gods if they have given reason to man they have likewise given him subtlety for subtlety is only a deceitful manner of applying reason to do mischief to them likewise we must owe deceit and every other crime which without the help of reason would neither have been thought of nor committed as the old woman wished quote, that to the fir which on mount pelion grew the axe had ne'er been laid close quote, so we should wish that the gods had never bestowed this ability on man the abuse of which is so general that the small number of those who make a good use of it are often oppressed by those who make a bad use of it so that it seems to be given rather to help vice than to promote virtue among us this you insist on is the fault of man and not of the gods but should we not laugh at a physician or pilot though they are weak mortals if they were to lay the blame of their ill success on the violence of the disease or the fury of the tempest had there not been danger we should say who would have applied to you this reasoning has still greater force against the deity the fault you say is in man if he commits crimes but why was not man endued with a reason incapable of producing any crimes how could the gods err when we leave our effects to our children it is in hopes that they may be well bestowed in which we may be deceived but how can the deity be deceived as phoebus when he trusted his chariot to his son phaethon or as neptune when he indulged his son theseus in granting him three wishes the consequence of which was the destruction of hippolytus these are poetical fictions but truth and not fables ought to proceed from philosophers yet if those poetical deities had foreseen that their indulgence would have proved fatal to their sons they must have been thought blamable for it aristo of chios used often to say that the philosophers do hurt to such of their disciples as take their good doctrine in a wrong sense thus the lectures of aristippus might produce debauchees and those of zeno pedants if this be true it were better that philosophers should be silent than that their disciples should be corrupted by a misapprehension of their master's meaning so if reason which was bestowed on mankind by the gods with a good design tends only to make men more subtle and fraudulent it had been better for them never to have received it there could be no excuse for a physician who prescribes wine to a patient 
knowing that he will drink it and immediately expire your providence is no less blamable in giving reason to man who it foresaw would make a bad use of it will you say that it did not foresee it nothing could please me more than such an acknowledgment but you dare not i know what a sublime idea you entertain of her but to conclude if folly by the unanimous consent of philosophers is allowed to be the greatest of all evils and if no one ever attained to true wisdom we whom they say the immortal gods take care of are consequently in a state of the utmost misery for that nobody is well or that nobody can be well is in effect the same thing and in my opinion that no man is truly wise or that no man can be truly wise is likewise the same thing but i will insist no further on so self-evident a point telamon in one verse decides the question if says he there is a divine providence quote, good men would be happy bad men miserable Close quote. but it is not so if the gods had regarded mankind they should have made them all virtuous but if they did not regard the welfare of all mankind at least they ought to have provided for the happiness of the virtuous why therefore was the carthaginian in spain suffered to destroy those best and bravest men the two scipios why did maximus lose his son the consul why did hannibal kill marcellus why did cannae deprive us of paulus why was the body of regulus delivered up to the cruelty of the carthaginians why was not africanus protected from violence in his own house to these and many more ancient instances let us add some of later date why is rutilius my uncle a man of the greatest virtue and learning now in banishment why was my own friend and companion drusus assassinated in his own house why was Sivola, the high priest that pattern of moderation and prudence massacred before the statue of vesta why before that were so many illustrious citizens put to death by cina why had marius the most perfidious of men the power to cause the death of catullus a man of the greatest dignity but there would be no end of enumerating examples of good men made miserable and wicked men prosperous why did that marius live to an old age and die so happily at his own house in his seventh consulship why was that inhuman wretch cina permitted to enjoy so long a reign he indeed met with deserved punishment at last but would it not have been better that these inhumanities had been prevented than that the author of them should be punished afterward Wadius, a most impious wretch was tortured and put to death if this was his punishment for the murdering drusus by the sword and metellus by poison would it not have been better to have preserved their lives than to have their deaths avenged on Wadius? dionysius 
was thirty-eight years a tyrant over the most opulent and flourishing city, and, before him, how many years did Pisistratus tyrannize in the very flower of Greece? Phalaris and Apollodorus met with the fate they deserved, but not till after they had tortured and put to death multitudes. Many robbers have been executed, but the number of those who have suffered for their crimes is short of those whom they have robbed and murdered. Anaxarchus, a scholar of Democritus, was cut to pieces by command of the tyrant of Cyprus, and Zeno of Elia ended his life in tortures. What shall I say of Socrates, whose death, as often as I read of it in Plato, draws fresh tears from my eyes? If, therefore, the gods really see everything that happens to men, you must acknowledge they make no distinction between the good and the bad. Diogenes the cynic used to say of Harpalos, one of the most fortunate villains of his time, that the constant prosperity of such a man was a kind of witness against the gods. Dionysius, of whom we have before spoken, after he had pillaged the temple of Proserpine at Locris, set sail for Syracuse, and, having a fair wind during his voyage, said with a smile, See, my friends, what favourable winds the immortal gods bestow upon church-robbers. Encouraged by this prosperous event, he proceeded in his impiety. When he landed at Peloponnesus, he went into the temple of Jupiter Olympius, and disrobed his statue of a golden mantle of great weight, an ornament which the tyrant Gelo had given out of the spoils of the Carthaginians, and at the same time, in a jesting manner, he said that a golden mantle was too heavy in summer and too cold in winter, and then, throwing a woolen cloak over the statue, added, This will serve for all seasons. At another time, he ordered the golden beard of Aesculapius of Epidotus to be taken away, saying that it was absurd for the son to have a beard when his father had none. He likewise robbed the temples of the silver tables, which, according to the ancient custom of Greece, bore this inscription, quote, To the good gods, close quote, saying, He was willing to make use of their goodness, and, without the least scruple, took away the little golden emblems of victory, the cups and coronets, which were in the stretched-out hands of the statues, saying, He did not take but received them, for it would be folly not to accept good things from the gods, to whom we are constantly praying for favours, when they stretch out their hands towards us. And, last of all, all the things which he had thus pillaged from the temples were, by his order, brought to the market-place and sold by the common crier, and after he had received the money for them, he commanded every purchaser to restore what he had bought within a limited time to the temples from whence they came. Thus, to his impiety towards the gods, he added injustice to man. Yet neither did Olympian Jove strike him with his thunder, nor did Aesculapius cause him to die by tedious diseases and a lingering death. He died in his bed, had funeral honours paid to him, and left his power, which he had wickedly obtained, 
as a just and lawful inheritance to his son it is not without concern that i maintain a doctrine which seems to authorize evil and which might probably give a sanction to it if conscience without any divine assistance did not point out in the clearest manner the difference between virtue and vice without conscience man is contemptible for as no family or state can be supposed to be formed with any reason or discipline if there are no rewards for good actions nor punishment for crimes so we cannot believe that a divine providence regulates the world if there is no distinction between the honest and the wicked but the gods you say neglect trifling things the little fields or vineyards of particular men are not worthy their attention and if blasts or hail destroy their product jupiter does not regard it nor do kings extend their care to the lower offices of government this argument might have some weight if in bringing rutilius as an instance i had only complained of the loss of his farm at formiae but i spoke of a personal misfortune his banishment all men agree that external benefits such as vineyards corn olives plenty of fruit and grain and in short every convenience and property of life are derived from the gods and indeed with reason since by our virtue we claim applause and in virtue we justly glory which we could have no right to do if it was the gift of the gods and not a personal merit when we are honoured with new dignities or blessed with increase of riches when we are favoured by fortune beyond our expectation or luckily delivered from any approaching evil we return thanks for it to the gods and assume no praise to ourselves but who ever thanked the gods that he was a good man we thank them indeed for riches health and honour for these we invoke the all-good and all-powerful jupiter but not for wisdom temperance and justice no one ever offered a tenth of his estate to hercules to be made wise it is reported indeed of pythagoras that he sacrificed an ox to the muses upon having made some new discovery in geometry but for my part i cannot believe it because he refused to sacrifice even to apollo at delos lest he should defile the altar with blood but to return it is universally agreed that good fortune we must ask of the gods but wisdom must arise from ourselves and though temples have been consecrated to the mind to virtue and to faith yet that does not contradict their being inherent in us in regard to hope safety assistance and victory we must rely upon the gods for them from whence it follows as diogenes said that the prosperity of the wicked destroys the idea of a divine providence but good men have sometimes success they have so but we cannot with any show of reason attribute that success to the gods diagoras who is called the atheist being at Samothrace, one of his friends showed him several pictures of people who had endured very dangerous storms see says he you who deny a providence 
how many have been saved by their prayers to the gods ay says diagoras i see those who were saved but where are those painted who were shipwrecked at another time he himself was in a storm when the sailors being greatly alarmed told him they justly deserved that misfortune for admitting him into their ship when he pointing to others under the like distress asked them if they believed the agoras was also aboard those ships in short with regard to good or bad fortune it matters not what you are or how you have lived the gods like kings regard not everything what similitude is there between them if kings neglect anything want of knowledge may be pleaded in their defence but ignorance cannot be brought as an excuse for the gods your manner of justifying them is somewhat extraordinary when you say that if a wicked man dies without suffering for his crimes the gods inflict a punishment on his children his children's children and all his posterity oh wonderful equity of the gods what city would endure the maker of a law which should condemn a son or a grandson for a crime committed by the father or the grandfather Quote, shall tantalus unhappy offspring know no end no close of this long scene of woe when will the dire reward of guilt be o'er and mutilos demand revenge no more close quote whether the poets have corrupted the stoics or the stoics given authority to the poets i cannot easily determine both alike are to be condemned if those persons whose names have been branded in the satires of hipponax or archilochus were driven to despair it did not proceed from the gods but had its origin in their own minds when we see aegisthus and paris lost in the heat of an impure passion why are we to attribute it to a deity when the crime as it were speaks for itself i believe that those who recover from illness are more indebted to the care of hippocrates than to the power of aesculapius that sparta received her laws from lycurgus rather than from apollo that those eyes of the maritime coast corinth and carthage were plucked out the one by critolaus the other by hasdrubal without the assistance of any divine anger since you yourselves confess that a deity cannot possibly be angry on any provocation but could not the deity have assisted and preserved those eminent cities undoubtedly he could for according to your doctrine his power is infinite and without the least labour and as nothing but the will is necessary to the motion of our bodies so the divine will of the gods with the like ease can create move and change all things this you hold not from a mere phantom of superstition but on natural and settled principles of reason for matter you say of which all things are composed and consist is susceptible of all forms and changes and there is nothing which cannot be or cease to be in an instant and that divine providence has the command and disposal of this universal matter and consequently can in any part of the universe 
do whatever she pleases from whence i conclude that this providence either knows not the extent of her power or neglects human affairs or cannot judge what is best for us providence you say does not extend her care to particular men there is no wonder in that since she does not extend it to cities or even to nations or people if therefore she neglects whole nations is it not very probable that she neglects all mankind but how can you assert that the gods do not enter into all the little circumstances of life and yet hold that they distribute dreams among men since you believe in dreams it is your part to solve this difficulty besides you say we ought to call upon the gods those who call upon the gods are individuals divine providence therefore regards individuals which consequently proves that they are more at leisure than you imagine let us suppose the divine providence to be greatly busied that it causes the revolutions of the heavens supports the earth and rules the seas why does it suffer so many gods to be unemployed why is not the superintendence of human affairs given to some of those idle deities which you say are innumerable this is the purport of what i had to say concerning the nature of the gods not with a design to destroy their existence but merely to show what an obscure point it is and with what difficulties an explanation of it is attended balbus observing that cotta had finished his discourse you have been very severe says he against a divine providence a doctrine established by the stoics with piety and wisdom but as it grows too late i shall defer my answer to another day our argument is of the greatest importance it concerns our altars our hearths our temples nay even the walls of our city which you priests hold sacred you who by religion defend rome better than she is defended by her ramparts this is a cause which while i have life i think i cannot abandon without impiety there is nothing replied cotta which i desire more than to be confuted i have not pretended to decide this point but to give you my private sentiments upon it and am very sensible of your great superiority in argument no doubt of it says Valeus. we have much to fear from one who believes that our dreams are sent from jupiter which though they are of little weight are yet of more importance than the discourse of the stoics concerning the nature of the gods the conversation ended here and we parted Valeus judged that the arguments of cotta were truest but those of balbus seemed to me to have the greater probability footnote cicero who was an academic gives his opinion according to the manner of the academics who looked upon probability and a resemblance of truth as the utmost they could arrive at end of book three and end of on the nature of the gods by marcus tullius cicero translated by charles duke young read by geoffrey edwards meta coordinated by caroline proof listened by Caio. Recording in memory of Mitchell Edwards.